A farmer with serious financial problems bought an ass from another farmer for farmer for $100. The seller agreed to deliver it the next day. However, the next day the seller drove up and said, sorry, but I, I have some bad news, the ass died. Well, then just give me my, my money back, said the buyer. Well, I can't do that, I spent it already, the seller replied. Okay, then just unload the lat, the ass, said the buyer. The seller inquired, what are you gonna do with a dead ass? I'm gonna raffle him off. The incredulous seller said, you can't raffle off a dead ass. Sure I can, I just won't tell anybody it's dead. A month later, the two met and the farmer who sold the dead ass asked the buyer, whatever happened with the dead ass? I raffled him off just like I said I would. I sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece and I made a profit of $898. Didn't anyone complain, the incredulous seller asked. The smug buyer replied, just the guy who won. So I gave him his $2 back. <laughs> we, uh, we may laugh at this story, but in truth it stings because of the pervasive fraud of our age. I like to believe that people are virtuous, but the financial shenanigans perpetrated by respected business people, including major banks, the level of scheming and deceit in housing, the inability of the government to properly regulate financial institutions and protect citizens has brought the level of trust to a record low. It's no wonder that people express great caution by holding on to their wallets, allowing for only a tepid economic recovery. But plain vanilla citizens do not get off scot-free because so many lie just a little here or a little there on, say, their income tax or insurance losses or billable hours or recommendation of unnecessary treatments or tests and so forth. This week's Torah portion, Yitro, contains the Ten Commandments, of which Number two and number nine concern lying. I want to explore the issue of whether or not it is ever okay to lie because in fact there are some gray areas that encourage or even permit lying. What are the parameters that mark acceptable lying? First a little overview of our textual uh, tradition. Commandment three, you shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God. Commandment nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. There are also numerous prohibitions against lying throughout the Bible and rabbinic literature. You shall not deal falsely nor lie to one another. You shall not utter a false report. Put not thy hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. <clears throat> Keep far from a false matter. 
One must not speak one thing with the mouth and another with the heart. In spite of these clear edicts against deceit, lying, especially when it's a white lie, is often perfectly acceptable because everyone does it, I'm only lying a little bit, it's for the greater good, or nobody gets hurt by it. I want to examine eight distinct categories of, so, of these so-called gray areas. <clears throat> One, the empty gesture. A nice but fake gesture, pledge, or promise made with no interest or hope of fulfilling it. It's not meant to be taken seriously and is accompanied by the expectation that the person to whom the gesture is made won't actually take up the hollow offer. Empty gestures are very often part of social pleasantries, often made in order to seem like a nice person, as this scene from Curb Your Enthusiasm acknowledges. Larry David. Well, if there's anything that I could do, let me know. Marty Funkhauser, you know, there is something that you can do. Larry David, what? Are you kidding? Marty Funkhauser, what? You mean you didn't mean it? Larry David, of course not. Marty Funkhauser, well, then why did you say it? Larry David, you know, it's, it's an empty gesture, something to say. Larry David saying to Jeff Green, don't make an empty gesture to a Funkhauser, they'll take you up on it. <laughs> Two, the influence lie, intended to transform another person's point of view. Here's an illustration. Dear mom and dad, a college freshman wrote, I know I'm thoughtless in not having written in three months since I arrived at college. Since you may be quite surprised by what you're about to learn, you uh, might want to sit down before you read any further. I'm getting along pretty well now. The concussion I got when I jumped out of the window of my burning dormitory shortly after my arrival is pretty well healed by now. I was only hospitalized for a few weeks. I, I can almost see normally now, and the headaches have just about disappeared. Fortunately, the dormitory fire was witnessed by an attendant at the gas station near the dorm. He called the fire department and, and the ambulance. He was so kind to visit me in the hospital, and since I had nowhere to go because the fire gutted the dormitory, he invited me to share his basement department with him. He's a wonderful human being and we've fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't set a date yet, <clears throat> but we will uh, have to get married soon before people become aware that I'm pregnant. I know it may be shocking, but I also know how much you're looking forward to becoming grandparents. I will need to depend on you to help me take care of your grandchild when we move in with you. We're only delaying the ceremony until we complete the prescription for penicillin we're taking to clear up the infection that I carelessly caught from him, which prevents us from passing the premarital blood test. 
I know you will welcome him warmly into our family. He's considerate and kind, although not educated. He is ambitious. He's also of a different race than we, but I'm sure that you will express the same tolerance toward him as you have to other ethnic groups over the years. Now that you're updated, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I was not injured or hospitalized. I'm neither pregnant nor engaged. I do not have a sexually transmitted disease. I have no boyfriend who will move in with you. And I'm not planning to get married. But I did get a D in history and an F in French. <laughs> and I wanted to be sure that you would receive this news in the proper perspective. <laughs> Three, obligatory lie, often called stretching the truth or making something appear better, more powerful, more meaningful, or real than it actually is. The obligatory lie. Jewish tradition fully recognizes that there are times when it not only is acceptable to tell an obligatory lie, but it's actually a mitzvah when saving ourselves and others from embarrassment or hurt. By way of example, the Talmud asks how an observer may describe a bride. The school of Shammai says that she must be described exactly as she is. But the dominant opinion of the school of Hillel is more sensitive and mandates that every bride must be described as beautiful even if she's not. Because in the eyes of her husband, she is beautiful. By extension, all babies are beautiful and so forth. Four, the noble or emergency lie. A strategic lie told for a greater good. Such a lie is acceptable and even encouraged because it maintains law, order, and safety, and at the extreme is capable of preserving life. Judaism unquestionably allows such lying when such an action can save a life. Telling a Nazi that there are no Jews in a home when in fact several are hidden there is an example of a noble lie. Similarly, a lie may be told when the truth may not be told in order to avoid harm to a third party. For example, a neighbor might lie to an enraged husband about the whereabouts of his wife who he believes has been unfaithful. Because said husband might reasonably be expected to inflict physical injury should he encounter his wife in person, a lie is told. Five, preservation of family tranquility lie. Utilized when the truth is hurtful. For example, never ever hesitate or blink when responding to the question, do I look fat in this dress? There is only one answer. Sometimes we need to be lied to, and to do otherwise could be deadly. A husband res who responds truthfully to such a question with, well, you have put a few pounds on recently, dear, might wake up the next day in the hospital. 
A father buys a lie detector robot that slaps people when they lie. He decides to test it out at dinner one night. The father asks his son what he did that way. The son says, I did some schoolwork. The, the robot slaps the son. The son says, okay, okay, I was at a friend's house watching movies. Dad asks, what movie did you watch? Son says, Toy Story. The robot slaps the son. Son says, okay, okay, we were watching porn. Dad says, what? At your age, I didn't even know what porn was. The robot slaps the dad. <laughs> mom laughs and says, well, he certainly is your son. The robot slaps the mom. <laughs> the next day, Craigslist advertises, use robot for sale. Six, face-saving lie. One that's utilized to wiggle out of an uncomfortable situation or even fool ourselves. Sartre calls this the bad faith lie. We recognize such deceit in comments like, size doesn't matter, I lost your telephone number, I have a headache, I'm not angry, I only had one chocolate, I love the gym. I'd love to get together sometime. I completely understand. I want to hear all about it. I'd love to see your travel photos. Those other guys didn't mean anything to me. I can fix it. Nothing's wrong. I tried to call you. The table will be ready in five minutes. Thank you so much, I just love it. No officer, I had no idea of how fast I was going. I will start working on it ASAP. I thought I already sent that email out, I, I'm sure I did. I'm 21, six foot five with a muscular build. I cannot attend because of a scheduling difficulty. The highest quality at the lowest price, or always votes in the best interest of the people. And the number one face-saving lie, I would never lie to you. Four students missed an exam having claimed that they had a flat tire on the way to class. The next day they requested a makeup exam. The professor complied by saying that he would give them a one question makeup exam and sent each of them to a different corner of the room and asked them which tire was flat. <laughs> Works every time. Seven, the butler lie. A face-saving lie of the electronic age. This term was coined by the researchers at Cornell University's social media lab, which are usually um, uh, referred to lies which are usually sent electronically and are used to terminate discussions or to save face. For example, sending a message that reads, I have to go, the waiter is here, uh, even when you're not in a restaurant. Eight, the Bubba Mainza, Yiddish for a grandmother's tale, a made up fact 
created to amuse or create the illusion that some childhood fantasy, contrary to reality, is cute or sweet. Tooth fairies, bunnies that lay chocolate eggs, the stork that makes deliveries. Of course, the consequences of a child discovering that these uh, lies, are, uh, discovering that these are lies almost is never considered. The Mishnah makes it clear that ethics are not an opinion but a requirement for proper behavior. An individual is always responsible whether his act is intentional or inadvertent, whether he is awake or asleep, which leads me to conclude that when it comes to lies, when it comes to white lies, Honesty is always the best policy. Believe me, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom.